Hello, and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. I grew up heavily involved in Boy Scouts, and so I felt like I had a pretty good grasp on what all they had to offer. But I recently heard about a program that had not been on my radar. It was for kids who lived kind of in remote areas that didn't have a troop anywhere nearby. It was called the Lone Scout Program. And in this program, they basically did the same things regular scouts did, but they did it alone. So they would make their fire alone. They would roast their hot dog alone. They'd sing their camp songs alone. Now, forget for a minute the safety aspect of this, because I know the things we threw in the fire and the sharp objects we played with when Scoutmasters were around, but it just seems kind of sad, doesn't it? The very idea of Boy Scouts is about doing these activities in community with other boys and with adults who are teaching you the, the skills and values that are valued by the Boy Scout community. The very essence of Boy Scout-ness is community. And so the idea of a lone scout just seems kind of odd to me. But we live in a culture where more and more we want to try and go it alone, especially when it comes to religion. And so we've adopted this mindset of, I want to be spiritual but not religious, which basically means we're going to collect these different spiritual practices and ideas, but only the ones that suit our purposes. And we don't want to commit to anything especially to a church. We want to have a personal relationship with God. We want to love God, but we don't want to love the church because those people, those people are a hassle. <laughs> right? <laughs> and so we develop our own lone Christian program, but the problem with that is the idea of a lone Christian just simply does not hold up next to Scripture. If you look back at the very beginning of the Bible, God created the heavens and the earth, the sun and the moon, the seas and the land, all the animals, and he looks at these things and he says, it is good. And then he looks down and he sees Adam sitting there by himself and he says, it is not good. Now, how could that be? Adam has God all to himself. He's got an amazing personal relationship with the God of the universe. What could possibly be wrong with this situation? In order to answer this question, you have to understand who God is. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. By his very essence, he is community. The very nature of of God is that he is a relational God of love. And he said, let us create man in our image. And so when he bends down and he creates a single consciousness man, he looks at him and he says, you cannot be all that I've meant you to be in my image apart from community. He has hardwired us with a deep need for relationships. But far too often, we're willing to settle for mediocre, surface-level relationships instead. I mean, I know I have. I'm an introvert by nature. I joke with my wife that if we never got married, I would live on a houseboat by myself and never talk to anybody. (laughs) I'm prone to isolating myself. And there have been seasons in my life when I've been jaded and disillusioned, and I thought, you know, I can just listen to podcasts of sermons, and I can 
read spiritual books, but I don't really want to mess with going to or being involved in church. But when I look back, those were not good seasons in my life. There was little to no spiritual growth or maturity that took place. And when I, and there's just something that happens in here that gets twisted, that gets self-focused and takes you to dark places when you're in that place. It was not a season of life. It was not a season of joy. It was not a season of the fullness that God would have for me. And since then, I've realized that the church, that community is something that I desperately need, that it has to be a place of firm footing in my life because the truth of it is I can't be fully me without an us. So we're going to spend some time in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 this morning. And through it, we're going to see a few examples of why it is that we need community, why it should be important to us. And then we're also going to see some examples of why it is that maybe that we resist it a little bit. And hopefully by the end of today, we'll have a better understanding of the main thing, which is our God is a relational God of love. And in his wisdom and love for us, he created us in his image. So turn with, you, turn with me, if you will, to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 4. Then I observed that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. But this too is meaningless, like chasing the wind. Fools fold their idle hands, leading them to ruin. And yet, better to have one handful with quietness than two handfuls with hard work and chasing the wind. I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. This is the case of a man who is all alone, without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asked himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It is all so meaningless and depressing. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close to each other can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. It is better to be a poor but wise youth than an old and foolish king who refuses all advice. So for most of the time that I've that I've worked. I've worked in environments where jeans are acceptable work attire. But a few years ago, I had a job interview lined up. And so I thought, I need to wear some slacks to this interview. So I go to my closet, I dig way to the back, and I pull out one pair of pants, and then another pair of pants, and then another pair of pants. And to my horror, I realized that none of the pants fit me. And so I'm faced with one of two choices. Either I go to the interview wearing jeans, which I considered poor form, or I go to the one place where you can purchase pants at 9 o'clock at night. So in my shame, I go to Walmart. I ask them to point me towards the husky section, and I find me a pair of pants. The next evening, I'm sitting at home, and a buddy of mine calls me up, and he said, hey, I heard about this running series that they do throughout the summer, where every Thursday night, they run a 5K down by the Trinity River. You want to go do it with me? Now, I have never been an athletic person and lest we forget, I just realized that I would outgrown every pair of pants that I owned. So there had been no running taking place. So as a sane, rational human being, what do you think my answer was to my friend? <laughs> yeah, I'll see you there, right? So 
Thursday night, there I am down by the banks of the Trinity and the race begins and I have to have a goal for what I'm doing. So I'm like, I'm going to beat the mom pushing the double jogging stroller. But I think that that had a motor in it because she was gone in a heartbeat. So I thought, okay, a more appropriate goal would be that, that, that speed-walking 70-year-old over there. I think I can beat her. But she was surprisingly athletic for a woman her age. So I settled in on a better goal of, I'm just not going to puke or die during this race. <laughs> so I get to the end of the race, having accomplished my goal, and my friend says, great, man, see you next week. And I showed up week after week after week. And Eventually, I beat the speed-walking granny, and I got my own jogging stroller, and I gave that mom a run for her money. (laughs) But, you know, even facing the shame of my tight pants, without my friend calling me up, I would have drowned that shame in queso. (laughs) There's no way I would have signed up for a 5K series. Do you know how hot it is in Fort Worth in the summer? But... And I don't know if I weren't there every week, if my friend would have showed up week after week after week to do it as well. And at the end of that summer, we both saw improved health and endurance and discipline and probably improved waistlines as well. So in this passage, Solomon gives us four reasons why community is important to us. And the first one is pretty simple, that two are better off than one for they could help each other succeed. One reason I told that story is because in the New Testament, the Christian walk is often compared to a race. And if any of you have ever run a longer race before, you know that probably the worst place you can be is all by yourself, where the person in front of you is too far ahead to have any hope of catching them, and anyone behind you is too far behind to motivate you. And so you start looking down at the ground, and you gradually slow, and you start to think. You think about your pain. You think about, why did I sign up for this stupid race in the first place? And as you go, you may not stop running, but you definitely stop racing. It's true in our Christian life as well. We get to a point where we say, I'm not where I want to be spiritually. I feel like God is really distant from me right now. And you know what? I'm not getting off the course. I'm not quitting, but I'm not racing anymore. And maybe we need to ask ourselves, who are we running with? Who do we have racing alongside us to push us and to motivate us and to encourage us? We need to remember from Proverbs 27 where it says, iron sharpens iron. And if you want to see more spiritual health, more spiritual growth, more spiritual maturity and fruit, then you need to ask yourself, who am I running with? Maybe you need to start getting on the same Bible reading plan with one of your friends or start talking about spiritual topics and difficult things with one another. Maybe you need to go serve and evangelize with one another because together you can get some, you can get some traction and you can help each other succeed. The second reason he gives us is if a person falls, the other can reach out and help. So what happens to us when we fall? especially when we fall in what feels like it's the same pit we've fallen into over and over and over again. How do we bounce back from that? According to Solomon, said oftentimes God uses his people to lift up his people. Now, let me be clear about something. When Jesus died on the cross, he did so for all of your sins. When he rose from the dead, he conquered all of your sins, past, present, and future. 
So when you fall in that pit, his grace and restoration are available to you immediately. Okay? But oftentimes when we fall in there, we sit there at the bottom of the pit and we say, gosh, I'm just not worthy to get back out of here and continue on with Jesus. And so we just stay down. We need friends in our life that will come along and say, I refuse to let you lay there another day missing out on the grace and forgiveness available to you in Jesus Christ. It is time to get up. Thank God for those kind of friends in our lives who will speak truth into us in those moments. Reason number three is we need somebody to keep us warm when it's cold. Youth group guys, this is not a biblical mandate for cuddling. I don't want to see the guys telling the girls it's cold in here. Graydon will slap you upside the head in love. Okay. But, but in seriousness, life, life can get cold sometimes, right? Things happen in our life. Uh, rejection happens. Sickness happens. Death happens. Divorce happens. And when these things happen in our life, we have this terrible self-destructive tendency to close everybody else out and sit there and shiver alone. Who are those in your life who are going to seek you out during those cold seasons and refuse to let you shiver alone? Who is there to listen and process with you, to sift through the noise to know what is a truth and what is a lie? Who will sit there and encourage you They're there to hold your hand. They're there to sit with you. They're there at the funeral. They're there to make sure you don't do anything stupid because often when we're we're hurt, we sin. In our brokenness and our pain, we turn somewhere we shouldn't for comfort or we start down a path that's just gonna lead us to a colder place. But God gave us each other to bring light and warmth to the situation. It was not long after we finalized our daughter's adoption, my wife got really sick. And one of the ways that it manifested itself at the time was with extreme insomnia. She would go day after day after day without sleeping at all. And then she'd get a night or two of mediocre sleep and then right back into sleeplessness. And it got to the point where she had no energy. She was completely incapacitated. She couldn't get out of bed on her own. And so we find ourselves in this place. We've got three young kids, one of them a young toddler who needs a lot of attention, who has attachment issues that we need to deal with. I'm working full time and nothing will consistently help. It was a dark season in our family. But in that season, our community huddled around us. They brought us food. They helped with the kids. They helped with the house. But more than anything, they covered us in prayer and they encouraged us. They were close enough to see when the light of hope in our eyes was starting to dwindle and they could wrap their arms around us and love on us. That was a hard season for us, but thank God we never had to shiver alone in that season. And let me tell you, I don't remember what food they brought us. I don't remember if it was filet mignon or cold spam. I don't remember if their prayers were beautiful and eloquent or if they were clumsy and awkward, but I remember they were there. I remember they sat with us. I remember they prayed with us. I remember that they kept us warm. 
The fourth reason Solomon gives us is that we need someone who has our back. He says a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can conquer. We need to remember that we have an enemy out there. There is someone out there who is plotting and planning how to steal your joy, how to promote brokenness in your life, and how to ruin your relationship with God and his church. We have an enemy, so you need a small army of men and women around you who can go to battle on your behalf. Now, the war is won. Jesus conquered Satan and sin, but we live in this time where we are in between the inauguration and the culmination of the kingdom. We are waiting for the kingdom to come in its fullness, and during this time, we will still suffer the slings and arrows of the enemy. And so we have to have people around us because God often chooses to display his power through his people. And we desperately need that because in 1 Peter 5, the apostle says that our enemy is like a prowling lion seeking to devour and destroy. Now, let me ask you, how does a lion hunt? He looks for an animal that's been separated from the herd or he tries to separate one from the herd. He wants to get you isolated and alone so he can attack and destroy you. I saw a video not too long ago called The Battle at Kruger, and in it there's these three water buffalo, and there's two adults and a baby, and they wander a little bit off from the rest of the herd. And before you know it, there is a pride of lions that are all around them, and they get a hold of the baby, and they get it, and they have it pinned down, and they're surrounding it, and they're trying to get it situated so everybody can get in on the meal. And at this time, the rest of the herd notices what's going on. And the rest of the water buffalo come rushing in and they surround the lions and they start chasing them and they're flipping them up in the air. And before you know it, those lions are fleeing and that baby is getting up and he's walking off with the rest of the herd. Now, the enemy had that baby. He was done for by all rights. Death had him. But there was a community around him that said, I'm not going to let you go out like that. This is not the end of your story. Right? Everybody needs a water buffalo, right? <laughs> we all need a few people with whom we are fully known and fully loved. People who know your sinful tendencies, who know your insecurities. People who are willing to tell you what you need to hear, just not what you want to hear. People who you allow to have influence in your life. And that's really key because you are going to be influenced by somebody. I hear a lot of people say that you are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with, which should give us some pause about who it is we spend the most time with. But we think to ourselves, you know, I know what truth is. I've got my convictions. It doesn't matter who I spend time with because I'm going to do the right thing no matter what. That's great. Except there's was this thing that, let me tell you about the Ash experiment. So back in 1951, there was a researcher by the name of Solomon Ash, and he would bring eight people into a room for a visual perception test. And they'd put up slides like this, and they'd say, okay, this is the first line. Which of the other lines is closest to it in size? Now, the catch here is that seven of the eight people were in on the experiment. There was only one true test subject. And those seven people had decided beforehand which answer they were going to give. So they get in there, and they start going down the line, and they ask which one's closest, and they start saying, C, 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 C. So when you get to the real 
test subject there, what do you think his response was? Now, they've recreated this experiment over and over through the years, and they've brought in people of different ages and genders and generations, but results have remained fairly consistent. It may not be on the first couple questions, but ultimately, 75% of the people will conform at least once even though they can clearly see it and they know that this is true and this is not. Now keep in mind, this is for the length of one short experiment. These are not people that they know. Nobody is actively trying to persuade them to answer incorrectly. But when surrounded by people who say what's false is true, we will deny our own basic observations of reality based on the pressure of the community around us. The greatest determiner of your behavior is your peer group. And I bet... Every one of us here probably has a story of when we folded to the pressure of our community around us. And so we have to make sure that we have the right community around us, one that is going to, um, it's going to build us up towards a life in Christ, one that's going to inspire us, one that's going to speak truth and love to us. It's not enough to be part of any community that will accept you. You have to be dug in with a community that's going where you want to go. If you want to go to Texas, you don't get on the bus to Minnesota. And if you want to pursue the things of God, then you have to journey with people who want to pursue the things of God. Now, some of you may try to argue with me and say, hey, but what about Jesus? He's a pretty good example, and he spent time around, he spent a lot of time around sinners, and he did. But look at how Jesus lived his life. Jesus was always surrounded by disciples. And then he had a smaller group of friends who knew him intimately, who loved him. He lived his life in community, and then together they moved out into the world. It's not an either-or proposition. In order to be light to the world, we have to go out into the world. But we weren't meant to do it alone. So if the right kind of community is so important to us, why do we resist it so much? Why do we push against it? Why do we settle for isolation if this is what is for our good? I think Solomon gives us some examples of this as well. So starting in verse 4, he says that people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. Andy Stanley put it that we all want to have the er factor over those around us. We want to be smart-er, strong-er, rich-er, spiritual-er. It's competition, and that's why we find ourselves uh, subtly resenting people who do better than us in a certain area, or find some weird satisfaction when we see somebody who has something we don't get lowered. But let me ask you, how can you love your neighbor, or how can you even be a good friend to someone when you don't celebrate their victories and you're quietly celebrating their failures? How can somebody be a good friend to you if the only thing you will show them is your strengths? Competition and envy are the enemies of closeness and community. In verse 5, he describes a man who is so idle and apathetic, he won't even do what he needs to do to avoid ruin. And if a man isn't willing to do what it takes to, to protect himself... How much do you think that man is pouring into other people around him? Again, let's look at the nature of God. All throughout Scripture, 
we see the Father honoring the Son, the Son praising the Father, the Son rejoicing in the Spirit, the Spirit pointing us towards the Son. There's this divine dance that goes on where they're giving and receiving love and honor to one another. It's not a one-way flow. It's meant to be a continuous exchange of love and joy and honor going on. And that's how our lives are supposed to be as well. That's how we're supposed to live. We're not ever meant to be some bottomless well that somebody pours into constantly, but nothing ever comes out. When you take and receive but never give back, you end up in a place where everyone is tired of pouring into you and getting nothing in return. And so you end up alone because laziness and apathy are the enemy of intentionality. Then in verses 7 and 8, he describes a man who is all alone and he's invested all of his time in building his wealth. He has no one because his drive has gotten in the way of him engaging in meaningful relationships. He has no time for anyone anymore. Did you know that since the 1950s, when they asked people, um, how many people do you have in your life that you know will be there for you if you need them? That number has been steadily decreasing since the 1950s. Inversely, the square footage of our houses has been steadily increasing over that same time period. Now, God has blessed some of you with incredible drive that you can use for his kingdom. He has blessed some of you with great, uh, where you can be successful in business and it's easy for you and it's fun for you and that's a great gift that he's given you. But when that gets twisted and we begin to value wealth and comfort over relationship, it is never worth it because valuing wealth over people is the enemy of intimacy. Then there's one more that Solomon gives us down in verse 13. And I think that this one is a big one in our culture. We see an older king who is filled with pride and he refuses to take advice from anyone else. We live in a culture today where we feel like we define our own reality. And we choose our books and our friends and our news outlets an attempt to feed our own confirmation bias of what we think reality is. We only want to feed ourselves what we want and what we like because we know what we need, right? The problem is we don't know what we need. The dating website Match.com has determined that what people say they want or need in a significant other is no determiner of who they end up with. After looking at millions of people seeking love and relationship, they've determined that we don't have a clue what we want or need in a relationship. But folks, that is the joy of the church. That is the joy of the church. My wife, Summer, and I, we just finished going through the discipleship school. And it was an amazing experience for us. And when I think about what made it so incredible, part of it was the speakers that came through, part of it was the mission trip, Part of it was the books that we read, but a big part of why it was so great were the people who were going on that journey with us. People who we may not have interacted with in our regular course, people in different stages of life, people on different stages of the journey, it, but they were all pursuing Jesus. They were all listening for what the Spirit was leading them to do. And you know what? I didn't know I needed encouragement from Landon. I didn't know that I needed Tony and Jan in my life. I didn't know I needed Anna's joy, but God did. God knew I needed those people in my life. And when we try to curate our experience, when we try to tailor our Christianity 
We have no idea what we need, but we also have no idea what we're missing. We can't let our pride be the fullness of what God has in store for us. Everybody go ahead and stand and get the ministry and worship teams to go ahead and come forward. You know, the, the devastating thing about sin is that it not only severs our community with God, it severs our community with us. Throughout humanity, we find thing after thing after thing, be it tribe or race or politics, that we say this difference is why we're going to war against one another. But when God set out to create a new creation, he did so in community. In Ephesians 2, it said that we were separated from God, we were without hope, but through Christ we were reconciled to him together as one. It says that we were, that we were enemies of God, we were children of wrath, but through Jesus Christ we were knit together with God and with those who were formerly our enemies. God's goal was never to save you individually from your sin. His goal was to pull us out of our sin and form us into an us. Some of you are longing for community, but you've never found it. Some of you have been shivering alone in the cold for way too long, and you don't have to stay there anymore. Some of you have your legs swept out from under you every time you encounter a crisis because you are a single thread flapping in the wind. Life wasn't meant to be lived that way. Some of us just need to lay down our pride and say, Lord, you are God and I am not. And so I have to trust that if you say this is for my good, that this is something I need to lean into. Guys, if you need prayer this morning, if you need to be open and honest with one person, if you need to start down the path to community, or if you need anything at all, we have people up here who would love to pray with you, who would love to talk with you, who would love to spend time with you. And we invite you to come right now as we stand and sing.